My name is Luke Moon. So my question is really to the issue of grace in relationship to mercy. Because I think one of the things that, that in, in the simple definition, you know, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy's not getting what we do deserve. And I think those two things go together in relationship to God's relationship to us. And, and grace and mercy matter when there's actually a history of relationship or a history of God acting a certain way. I mean, mercy matters in not getting what you do deserve if, you've, if there's has been a rule established, God has upheld that rule repeatedly, and then says, okay, I'm going to show grace, I'm going to show mercy. So how does that apply to your understanding of grace and mercy and, and Jesus' relationship to us in, in, the, in the parable that you told, specifically more Brian? Well, I want Jonathan to help me out. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know that I think in terms of real technicalities, what is the difference between mercy and grace. I'm sure I could cobble something together, but I do think it's interesting. That's why I started with the point in his prologue, John goes ahead and says, yeah, uh, full of grace, grace upon grace. Uh, we find grace in Jesus, but that's it. And he doesn't use the word grace after that. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke never do. And yet, uh, Every one of us, I think, I would hope, would associate Jesus with grace. So it isn't really a matter of technical definition, but how he lived his life and what's going on there. Yeah, I, I suppose we're dealing also with issues of language. You know, what does mercy mean? What does grace mean? How are they different? But that's not really what's going to interest me probably at this point. Um, to me... Um, I want to emphasize that point again. You can find in the Bible the God that you want. Yeah. Uh, the problem with Biblicism is this. People want to cling to Biblicism, the idea that you can read it as a flat text, that just read it straight through Genesis 1-1, Revelation 22-21, and just believe everything, let every, every verse just speak for itself with equal authority, and then when you're done, you will have the perfect picture of God. Um, the problem with that is it's impossible. It, it can't be done. And, but people want to cling to that because they're afraid if we lose that, then there's no, there's no rails, there's no safety. We'll yeah. go off the cliff. But Biblicism itself is a kind of delusion in that, I'll show you what I mean. You tell me what you want to believe, theologically and politically. Just, just tell me in general what you want to believe. Give me 15 minutes and I will give you the Bible verses. You want to be a Marxist? I'll give you the Bible verses. You want to be a raging capitalist? I'll give you the Bible verses. Uh, you want Jonathan Edwards' God? I'll give you that. You want Elder Zosima's God? I'll give you that. I think the idea that we can just approach the Bible and from that find... I, I think the Bible is the inspired witness to the Word of God whose name is Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that God gives His full revelation, not in a book but in a person. God could not say all that he wanted to say with the articulation of language or a book. God could say all that he wanted to say in a human life. Jesus. Beautiful. Jonathan, you want to add? Yeah, I think just my knee-jerk thought to that is, because um, I get this a lot, I think, in having these kind of conversations. I feel like a lot of what drives 
our questions is a concern, you know, that there may be too much grace, you know, need to kind of keep some boundaries in place. And I think that's precisely what makes the parable so challenging is that there's really not boundaries to the grace that's presented there, that's, which is the offense of them. You know, um, one of my favorite parables is the, the whole story of the workers. And, uh, you know, it's not one we talk about a lot. Y'all remember that story, you know, the workers, some come in at 9 o'clock, some at 12, some at 5. At the end of the day, they all get paid the same thing. Um, if someone treats you that way at your job, you're not going to be happy about this if you started at 9 and someone else came in at five. This is part of what I meant about sort of the, the shock and the offense of these stories is that, you know, God, God just does it. God just shows grace in this way. And I think that's part of how these parables challenge us. One of the things I love most about um, Father Greg and, you know, Tattoos on the Heart really is one of my favorite books I've read for years, is I feel like his stories just illustrate this truth over and over again. I mean, you heard him at length talking this morning about inclusion and these beautiful stories about gang members. What you see through that book repeatedly is it really is only this kind of extravagant grace that brings transformation, like nothing else works. And I think for those folks that kind of say, yeah, but we got to be careful and balance this out with this thing over here. I won't go into my whole deal about Jesus being full of grace and truth. That's not understood to be like grace and truth are on some kind of a seesaw. Um, nothing balances grace in scripture because I just think it's so intrinsic to who and what Jesus is. And, and grace is the only thing that ultimately brings transformation. So I just think we can't um, preach that hard enough, can't make it too scandalous, too shocking. I think where God takes it is always scarier. Thanks, Jonathan. We're still looking for the downside of grace, right? Yeah, I think so. Real genuine grace. Uh, we have a minute 20, so your question hey. briefly. My name is Letitia, and I just have a question. Um, you know, God's a merciful God, obviously, but it also says that he um, will, um, you know, punish you. So what does that exactly, like, translate to, that he's merciful, but he will still altogether punish you? I think that's in Jeremiah, I believe. Thank you. So okay. what exactly would that... It's, it's in Genesis through Revelation, not just Jeremiah. I mean, you, that's there, and I believe it's true. But we have to... What do we mean? St. Isaac the Syrian said, look, we speak of God being active and he has hands. We speak of God seeming distant and he's asleep. Speaking of God have, moving and having feet. But the, he says these are all metaphors. And then he says God's wrath is a metaphor. I think of it this way. God has designed the world according to love. And if we go with the grain of God's universe of love, then we experience in general what we might think of as God's favor. If we go against the grain of the universe that is love, we will suffer the shards of self-inflicted pain that we can call the wrath of God if we like. But it doesn't mean that it's God's action in a retributive way that said, well, I'm just so pissed off at these people that I'm not keeping my rules. That, because if that's the way God's doing it, he's not doing a very good job of it. Because I could point out some really bad people that he should smite. Yeah. Uh, but in the end, to go against the grain of God's universe which is love we will suffer and that we did it to ourselves makes it no less a form of suffering and maybe to sum up i would say it this way perhaps we are we are more punished by our sins than for our sins yeah. thank you that's okay. how i think about it thank you jonathan brian thank you so much thank you. wonderful, wonderful.